Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Some of you here are with us are brand new, and we actually are launching a service uh, a series, excuse me, and you're a big part of this series, and it's called Welcome Home. And so the church is a family, and that's, that's who we are, and that's what we are. And so um, I want to dive into this, but as I do, I want you to think about something for a moment. I want you to imagine that you were, I don't know, maybe 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old, something like that, and you are newly adopted into a family, Imagine that for me for a moment. Grown up thinking about life a certain way, but now you're adopted into this family and you're trying to figure out life and how this family interacts and what they're all about. I bet I know some of the questions that you would be asking yourself. You'd be asking yourself questions like, what time do we eat? <laughs> right? Where do I sleep? Where's, where's my place? Who do I need to avoid? Those are very real questions, questions that we would ask. You'd want to know, what, are the, what does this family believe? What are they all about? What do they think about? What are their values? What's important to them? Now, how many of you have ever been to someone's house, and you may actually have this, where in your home, where you, you've gone to their house, and they have on a wall or in a picture frame their family motto? How many of you have ever seen that? Where have y'all been? Is this, is this something we don't do in Acadiana? Many of you know, I've gone to some of your houses and I've seen it, where you have the family motto. And, and let me explain in case you knew. A motto is something where they're put on in their home, something along the lines of this, and we'll put it up on the screen for you. In this house, we. And then they start to explain the things that they do in their house, their family values, things like, we do second chances. We do grace. We do real. We do mistakes. We do I'm sorry. We do loud really well. <laughs> I know some of that, that, that just attached to some of y'all's souls when I said that. We do loud really well. We do hugs. So let me clear up something with the church for a moment. Because I had a guy bring this up to me today. He hugged me and he said, boy, oh, Pastor, I know you don't like hugs. I love hugs. And about a month ago, I said, I don't like being touched. I don't, okay? But I like hugs. What I don't like is when people are like, hey, hey, hey. And I'm always like, okay, thank you. But I love hugs, okay? So we do hugs. Everybody clear? I've had a number of people apologize to me for hugging me. I'm, we do hugs. Okay. We do family. We do love. We are a family. We are a family. So that's one type of um, motto, if you will, in, in, a, in a family's home that you may see going in there. I'm going to give you a few more that may progressively get more and more real. Family. We may not have it all together, but together we have it all. Come on, isn't that special? 
Now let's get to some of the real ones. Remember, as far as everyone knows, we are a normal family. Come on, we got some witnesses in the house, some amens in the house. Don't you act like that in front of these people. (laughs) Have you ever told your kids that? If you embarrass me in this store. (laughs) Oh, here's the final one. Well, that escalated quickly. (laughs) Our family motto. (laughs) It's so true. It is so true. Now, these are all things that you may see in, in someone's home. What they're doing is they're, they're expressing their family values, who they are, what they're all about. In this new series that we're doing, Welcome Home, I want to express to you the biblical family values that the church has. This is who we are. This is what we do. Because I, I made the, the comment or the analogy of a, you being adopted, coming into a family. When you're born again, that's exactly what happens. You're engrafted into a family. You are brought into God's kingdom, God's culture, the way that God does things, and you are now a part of a family. And as a new believer or a seasoned believer, what you're trying to do is figure out what are our values? Who are we? What what am I? Because when you're born again, it's just like a baby. When you're born again, you're born, you know who you are, but you don't know all that you are. And you begin going on a journey of discovering who you really are. For many of us, we didn't know who we were until our 30s. Some of you are in, our, in your 40s, our 40s, because I'm one of y'all now. 41. Pastor, you look young. I'm 41 years old. Tell it to my barber when the spots start missing in there. Anyway, 50s. 60, still trying, you're still on this journey of self-discovery. As a believer, as a Christian, you're still on the journey of discovering who God says you are. You may have had a picture in your mind of who you thought you were, but now you're learning and rediscovering what God says about you. So in this new series, we're gonna take about, we're gonna take four weeks. This won't be as long as our last series which was a full year, this will, be, this will be four weeks long. I wanna just say, I want, I want you to get this. I want you to understand whether you've been in our church for many years or whether you're a brand new Christian who got born again last week or you're somebody who's been gone for a while and you're just coming back to church for whatever reason. Maybe it was the pandemic that kept you home. Maybe it was, you know, you just kind of lost your way for a season and you're just coming back. Whatever it is, I want you to understand that this series is communicating the same thing to all of us. Welcome home. Welcome home. I wanna lay out for you what the church of Jesus is all about, who we are, what we do, how we should live and more. So anyway, if you will, I wanna dive into... Um, this, this book in the Bible. And this book in the Bible is a letter written to a very young church. It was written by the Apostle Paul to a very young church. This church was only about one year old, one year old. And so this was um, written to a church in a city called Thessalonica, Thessalonica. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter after only being in this city for, some scholars believe, about three weeks. Three, maybe, maybe a month and a half, but more, no, 
probably about three weeks was the realistic time that he came. He preached the gospel there. People got saved. They got born again. And then intense persecution happened. And he and his companions had to leave. Some of you may remember this from our book of Acts series. It was in Acts chapter 17 when the apostle Paul shows up in Thessalonica, preaches the gospel there. People are getting saved. Persecution breaks out, very intense persecution. And he has to leave. And now all of a sudden there's this group of people who've gotten saved, who've gotten born again, and they're trying to discover who they are. And the Apostle Paul is away from them. See, when he, I'm just giving you a little bit of background. It's not going to be the whole of this series, but a little bit of background is this. The Apostle Paul left there. He went to a city called Berea. Then he went to a city called Athens, Athens, Greece. We talked about that, Mars Hill and all of those different things. And then he left there and he went to Corinth where he wrote the book of Corinthians, or he wrote the book to the church in the Corinth, first and second Corinthians. While he was in Athens, he sent Timothy, his son in the Lord, his, his disciple, to go and check on the church in Thessalonica because he wanted to, he knew he'd left so quickly and he wanted to find out, are they growing? Did, did, did the devil mess this thing up or are they following Jesus? And then Timothy comes back when he's in Corinth and he gives them the good report that not only are they continuing in the faith, but they're thriving. They're thriving. They're committed to God. Even in the face of great persecution, they are growing in their relationship with God and things are going well. So Paul writes this letter to them and to teach them some of the things that he would have taught them in person. Now he has to teach them in the form of a letter because of his short-lived stay with them. Are y'all with me? So he's writing to these babes in the faith, these babies in the faith, but they are very committed to the faith. They are wholeheartedly sold out. They're all in. And he begins teaching them these things. And in a sense, he's giving them family mottos. And that's what I want to give to you today, family models. So let's dive in. The book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is what it says. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. I want to stop right there because that's our first family motto. If you're taking notes, write this down. We belong to God. Right out the gate, we have to make very clear that as a Christian, as a believer, we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to God. Paul says this, to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What was Paul saying? He was saying, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Jesus. When you're born again, God is no longer a religion to you. He's no longer a high, some higher distant cosmic power. He becomes your father. He becomes your daddy. The Bible even calls him Abba, father. And that word, the term Abba is like saying daddy. It's an intimate term for saying father. Did you know you can talk to God like he's your dad? And for those of you who didn't have a good dad, who didn't have a good father, it's not the same. Because this daddy is perfect. This father is perfect. And when you're born again, you can talk to him. 
You can have a conversation. Well, pastor, aren't we all God's children? Yes and no. We're all his creation, so in a sense we're his children, but you're not his child until you're born again. You don't really belong to him. Why? Because he's not really your father. But when you get born again, God becomes your father, your daddy. And what does a dad do? A dad provides for and a dad protects. That's what God does for you. Why? Because you belong to him. You're his children. He looks out for his children. I love that song as as we were singing, you're never gonna let me down. There will be times where you misunderstand what God is doing, but he won't let you down. There will be times where you will accuse God, I thought you were going to do this. You may have had an expectation of something that you thought he would do, but I can promise you this, he will never hold back truth. He will never not do something he committed to with his word. He won't let you down. If he said it, he's going to do it. That's the father that we serve. Are y'all with me? Conversely, what's true in that is you're no longer your own. You no longer belong to yourself. The apostle Paul said it this way in, second, in, um, excuse me, in Galatians chapter 2. You don't have to go there. But he said, it is no longer I who live, but lives, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. There's a confidence that comes when you belong to God. How many of you ever met somebody whose dad is important or significant in some way and they act all snobby? (laughs) Come on, let's be honest. And they're like, well, my daddy is. And you just want to go, yeah, well, my daddy could beat up your daddy. (laughs) Right? My dad's so-and-so. Yeah, but can your dad fight? My dad can't. There's, an, there's an, an confidence that comes from who your dad is. There should be confidence for every believer that our dad created the universe. You need to get that. Our dad has the first saying and the last saying. Our dad can change our circumstance like that and our dad loves us he loves us and he's there so right out the gate we don't belong to ourselves we belong to him I no longer belong to myself I no longer live for my selfish desires anymore because I belong to him You got to get that. If you don't belong to yourself anymore, you don't make your decisions solely based on how how it's going to benefit you. When you belong to someone, when you belong to your father and you belong to Jesus, you give your allegiance over to them. See, that's why we say, I gave my life to Jesus, because you really did. That was not just, you know, I decided to believe a little bit. I decided to kind of join the church to, to get my life right and maybe clean up some stuff. No, no, no. When you made him Lord of your life, you surrendered the rights of your life to him. That's what lordship means. And I've said this so many times, I'm going to say it again because I want to make sure we're clear on this. When we say Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, the two are not synonymous. They're not the same thing. When Jesus is my savior, I'm recognizing that he saved me. When he is my Lord, I surrender to doing what he says. He is my king.
king. I give my allegiance to him. Now that's not to say that you won't be tempted. We will all be tempted. That doesn't mean that you're perfect. Let me, let, let me make sure I'm clear on this. Temptation is not sin. Did you know that? Temptation is not sin. When you're tempted, you have not sinned. When a desire comes, you have not sinned. It's when you give into that temptation, that's when you sin. So don't think, oh, these church people are just perfect. No, they're jacked up too. They got issues too. They got problems too. But they're winning. They're not perfect, but they're committed. They're faithful. They fall and they get up and keep going. They keep going. Because they realize something. They don't belong to themselves. We belong to him. Verse two, we are always, excuse me, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly as we pray to our God and Father about you. We think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul gives us a great example here. He says, I, and we pray for you constantly. Here's our second family motto or value, if you will. We pray for one another. We pray for one another. As followers of Jesus, we're called to carry one another's burdens. We're called to help one another carry the load that they have to carry. And one of the best ways you can do that is by praying for one another. By lifting them up before God and praying for God to move on their behalf. And just so you know, your prayers are not just a nice gesture. I was talking with, with a young lady yesterday, and we were, she was very honest, and I loved hearing this. She said, you know what, Pastor, sometimes I just don't like, I don't want to pray out loud because I don't feel like I'm very good at it. Like I hear these people who make these long, eloquent prayers, and they have all the these and the thous in the right place. You know what I mean? Like their voice sounds smooth like peanut butter. Right, and it's just so eloquent. They're talking about the cosmos and the names of God, and I'm over there like, I mean, God help, you know, <laughs> please. And I told her this. I said, you know what's funny is that God wants to hear your prayers that are unpolished more than He wants to hear those polished prayers that don't mean anything. <laughs> what does God want from us? He doesn't want a performance. He wants our heart. God wants to know when there's something on your heart, tell him. Think about how you would interact with your kids. We don't like for our kids to just tell us what we want to hear because we know they're lying. Right? We want to hear what's really in their heart. At least if you're a good parent, you do. You want to hear what's really in their heart. Whether they're right or wrong, you just want to know what's in that heart. I believe God's the same way. So don't get nervous. I don't pray because I don't really know what to say. Listen, just tell them how your day was. Tell them what you want. Tell them the desires of your heart and thank him for who he is and what he's done in your life. That's what prayer is. It's not a nice gesture. There is power in your prayers. 
God will move on behalf of the prayers of his people. God will do significant things in the lives of people because someone prayed. Let me make sure, church, that you know this about prayer. Prayer, like I mentioned, is not a nice gesture. There are certain things that will only happen in the earth if God has someone praying for that in the earth. There's certain things that will not take place unless God has someone there to intercede on behalf of that thing. That's why your prayers matter. That's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What was he saying? You need to pray in the kingdom of God. You need to pray in what God wants to happen in these circumstances. Church, Christian, follower of Christ, you don't know how significant and important you really are. When you step into something that's messed up, the opportunity for that thing to change is there because God is inside of you. There's certain burdens that God himself has that when you pray, you entreat him to move on your behalf and to bring about his will in the earth. I know some of you don't understand that. That may be like, Pastor, that's a little big. It's the truth. When you go into a situation, the kingdom of God goes with you. And you can pray for things and intercede for things and God will move on your behalf. How many of you remember when you were a brand new Christian and like it seemed like everything you prayed came true? Like you pull up to Walmart and like, God, I really want a parking spot in the front. You're like, this is great. Right? Now you don't pray those prayers. You just go and God help me not act a fool when I go in Walmart. Please. Please, Lord, you know that one cashier is going to be there. I can't stand her. She's always having a bad day. You know it's true. Anyway. For you, for you seasoned believers, you may be saying, Pastor, I know that already. Let me ask you this. Do you spend time praying for others? You may know it, but are you doing it? See, the Bible's not just here to give you a whole bunch of head knowledge. It's here to change your heart. The problem with a lot, of, a lot of times, here's the issue. We know something up here, but we don't have it in here. How do I know that? Because we're not doing it. We know it. Oh, yeah, Pastor, I know that. Yeah, 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 I got that. No, 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 I know that. But are you doing it? Are you living it? Because if it's not in your heart, you're not living it. How do I know it's not in your heart? Because you're not living it. Are we praying for one another? Because that's what we're called to do. And I'll be honest with you, it is all too easy to have a self-centered prayer life. And I don't mean that as an insult, I really don't. I mean that for what, exactly for what the words actually mean. It's a prayer that's solely centered around you. God, I need this. God, I want this. Pastor, didn't you just tell me to do that? Of course, you're supposed to. But that's not the only thing you're supposed to pray about. We're supposed to carry one another's burdens and pray for each other. When you pray, you help them, you help them carry a burden. You help carry God's burden for them. You communicate with your father about their circumstance. Let me tell you about a situation that happened to me just this past week. 
I'm going into prayer. I have a time of prayer every morning. Every single morning, I have a time set aside that is me and God. Some of you may, Pastor, how long do you pray? Long enough. Long enough. In that time of prayer, I had this sense from the Lord. This is, there's been a lady in our church who has been struggling with cancer, and I've been walking with her, her daughter and just checking on them. I visited them a couple times, prayed with the family. And I got up this morning, and I just had this sense. I hadn't talked to her in a few days. And I just had this sense from the Lord. Text her this scripture. Now, text her a scripture from Psalms. And it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I sent her that. Her reply was, Pastor, my mom just passed away this morning. Why am I telling you that? When you pray for people, you're joining with them and with God for their circumstance. God showed that woman in that moment, I see you. I am with you and I'm going to carry you through this. He did that. Your prayers have power. Pray for one another. Ask people questions, especially your spiritual family. Ask them, what can I be praying for? How can I be praying for you? And if someone asks you that question, be honest with them. Don't give them, though, everything is great. That's a lie. Everything is not great. Everything is never always all good. Give them the things that they can pray for. Why? That's what families do for one another. Verse four, we know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Number three, if you're taking notes, write this down. You don't have to number it, but here's the next principle. We believe in the power of God. We believe in the power of God. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he didn't just send them out with a good message. He sent them out with the Holy Spirit. He told them, as we just studied in the book of Acts, go to Jerusalem and wait until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. The power to be a bold witness. That's what Jesus sent them out with. So if you've ever wondered, Pastor, is God in heaven? The answer is yes. Pastor, is God in the earth? The answer is yes. Because God the Father and Jesus are in heaven. God is in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, how is God on the earth? Because the Holy Spirit's on the earth. Well, where is the Holy Spirit? In the believers. That's where he is. God is still on the earth doing supernatural, miraculous things. I remember the night I got born again. Never forget it. It was December 31st, 1996. And I remember talking to the guy after I got saved. Can I just be honest with you? I really remember when I got saved, I was, it was an hour away from my house. I used to go to church an hour away from where I lived, and I couldn't drive, so I had to catch rides. So on that ride back, I'm just being transparent with you. I was really hoping like a train would derail and kill us or a plane or something because I was thinking, God, I don't want to mess this up. Like, take me home now. 
because I know me, I can mess this up easily. Obviously I didn't die, I'm still here because God had a plan. But I'm talking to my friend and he starts telling me about all of the things that God is still doing in the earth. He started telling me about how God's power was still working in the earth. These are things I learned the very first day of my salvation. Telling me things about things like prophecy, where God can speak through a person to tell a gathering of people or a person about what his heart is and his plan and what is to come are things that they could never know outside of the Holy Spirit revealing those things. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in the earth today. Learned about things like divine healing. God is still doing those things today. That's not just in the Bible. That's not just Old Testament, New Testament miracles. The Holy Spirit didn't leave. He's still here. So he's still doing the things he was doing. I believe God can heal the sick. Do I believe God can heal the sick through medicine? Of course I do. I believe in medicine. I take it. I take medicine. But I also believe God can supernaturally heal people as well. I believe God can still do miraculous signs and wonders in the earth today. How does he do that, pastor? He does it through you. He does it through the church. He does it through his people. Why? Because that's where the Holy Spirit is living in you. And you've got to partner with him and allow him to use you to do his will in the earth. Are y'all with me? Jesus gave us power to do his works in the world today. God uses his people to confirm his word. God uses his people to do things in the earth that confirm this is really God. God is really here. God is really moving. God will heal his people because he loves them. But guess what? God will heal either way. Either way, we're going to be healed. Either we're going to be healed here on earth and people get to glorify God for that healing. Or guess what? We're going to heaven with a new body. And we will be healed either way. God will also do miraculous signs, as I mentioned, to confirm his word, his truth. I'll never forget being at a church. I was maybe 19, 20 years old. And I'm at this meeting and this guy came in from out of town and he's praying for the sick. And I watched a girl there who came in with feet bandaged and wrapped up. And God supernaturally healed her right there. And that girl got up and took the bandages off of her feet and I watched her jump around and move her feet and dance. And she started listing all of the things that the doctor said she would never do. The doctor said I would never run again. The doctor said I would never dance again. The doctor said I would never jump. And she was doing all of them. All of them. Because God still heals. Now let me clarify. Let me make sure I clarify some things for you. Some churches get caught up in waiting on miracles and signs and wonders and they give no attention to the message of the gospel. But I'm here to tell you, those miracles, those signs and those wonders are there not to be bigger than the gospel. They're there to accentuate and make big the gospel. We can't focus on the wrong things. Pastor, God's going to do miracles and signs and wonders. Who's the last person you told about Jesus? 
I want God to do a miracle in my life. Did you know that you are a walking miracle? Because you were dead, now you're alive in Christ. You're a miracle. You are a miracle. What am I saying? I don't want us to be weird. We're not weird here. If you came from a weird church and you expect us to be like that, I'm sorry. I'm picking when I, well, no, I'm not. There are some weird churches out there. But this is what I believe. I believe this for our church. We're called to be naturally supernatural. We're called to be naturally supernatural. Just some of the things that I mentioned. If I were to talk to you about the gifts of the spirit or praying in tongues or divine healing or supernatural, some of you automatically get a picture in your mind of a weird circumstance and you think, okay, well then you must be like that. That's not true because Jesus was not weird. How do I know that? Little children wanted to be around him. People in need came to him. They weren't put off by the weird air and the weird stuff that sometimes seems to accompany people who operate in the power of God. Just so you know, the weirdness doesn't come from God. The weirdness is them. God will use weird people, but it's all for his glory. God is not up there doing all kind of weird stuff, even though it may seem weird to us. Just the fact that God would heal someone is weird to us. But God won't do all this. Here's my point. There are times when we get overly emotional about things and we forget it's all about him. It's all about his glory. Our church is not designed so that you can have a big emotional church fest. Our church is designed so that you can be built up and sent out to do the work of the ministry. That's who we are. We don't want our glory. We want his and also, I, I don't want you to leave this point without hearing this. We believe in a God who is very much alive and very much involved in our lives, and he's still doing miracles today. So if, you're, if, if you feel like you're stuck, ask God to do a miracle on your behalf. Well, I don't pray for myself. You should. Ask your dad for what you need. Pray the prayer of faith for what you need. And watch God do miracles on your behalf. But it takes the faith to ask him for it. Are y'all with me? This is who we are. Number, verse six. So you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitate both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout Macedonia and Achaia. The next principle, the next motto, if you will, we are his witnesses. We are his witnesses. How the church in Thessalonica followed Jesus, how they lived out their life was being watched and it became an example. It became an example for other believers to follow. What am I saying? How you live, church, look up here. How you live matters. How you live matters. Let's get real practical. How you speak in public matters. How you talk to people matters. 
Not only is God paying attention to it, but other people are paying attention to it. When you tell everybody, I'm born again, some of you, I need you to stop wearing your OSC shirt. I need you to take the bumper sticker off because the way you live is not consistent with what you say you believe. Because we're his witnesses. I remember when I first got born again, again, I'm, I'm on a basketball court, and listen, some of us don't do sports a whole lot now because we know what we can, we're capable of. So, but I'm on the basketball court, and I'm just being honest with you. I'm dropping F-bombs. I'm cursing. Some of you are like, what? Yes. I'm out there cursing and just so mad and doing all of the things that I used to do. And the person that brought me to church just simply looked at me, and he said, bro, stop cursing. And when he said that, I kid you not, it's like a switch turned in me. And I went, wait a minute, that's not who I am anymore. I don't do that anymore. I don't talk like that anymore. If I'm going to do this thing, I've got to do this thing. How you speak matters. What else matters? Let me get real Can I get in your business for a minute? Because if I'm your pastor, that's what I do. (laughs) How you speak to your spouse matters. If you want to, I know a lot of great men, but if you really want to to grade, if you will, how a man of God is doing, look at the countenance of his wife. Because she knows him better than anyone else. And if she says he's a man of God, that's a man of God. How you interact with your spouse matters because you're not just a witness to the people out there, you're a witness to your family. How you discipline your kids matters. Some of you, I don't discipline my kids. That's a problem. Because the Bible tells us to discipline our children because we're teaching them righteousness. You're not doing them any favors when you're their friend and not their parent. You're not. But then some of us go on the other extreme as well and we beat the living daylights out of our kids. Okay, that matters as well. Because we don't want our kids growing up seeing the hypocrisy in our lives and hating the church because of that. They grew up going, I don't want to go to church. Why? Because I saw how y'all lived and y'all went to church. How could that change my life if it didn't do a licking thing for yours? How you discipline and love your kids matters. I know I'm getting real practical, but I'm just, I, I want you to see this. This is who we are this is, this is who we are. This is the family. Welcome home. How you interact with the opposite sex marries. What do I mean by that? If you're a married man, live like a married man. If you're a married woman, live like a married woman. Live committed to your spouse. Pastor, are you saying I should never be tempted? Nope, you're going to be tempted. But your temptation is not the sin. When you give in to the temptation, again, that's the sin. Recognize my commitment to my spouse is not just a commitment to my spouse. 
My commitment to my spouse is a commitment to my spouse and to the God that we committed to one another in front of. This is a three-way covenant. This is a three-way covenant. So that means if you're at your job and you're flirting with your employees, stop it. Stop it. If you're a woman and the only attention that you draw to yourself is because of how you dress, stop it. God, you're beautiful without that. You don't need that. Let God fill that attention void in your life. Let the right man fill that attention void in your life. How you interact with the opposite sex matters. Why? Because when I say I'm a Christian and I'm born again and I got my OSC shirt, but people are going, why are you flirting with her? Why are you talking like that to her? It's inconsistent. It matters. Let me keep going. I'm almost done. How you endure matters. How you handle hard times matters. When you're faced with difficulties in life, does your faith shine or does it expose the lack of faith there? Hard times are going to come to all of us. And I'm not, I would be a, a horrible pastor if I told you when you get saved guess what your best life is going to happen and no problems are going to come it's going to be great that's called a lie you want to know what Jesus promised us in this world you will have troubles thanks Jesus in this world you're going to have hard times he says but be of good cheer take heart I've overcome the world when hardships come, when there's problems in the marriage, when we've lost someone and we're grieving, when the trouble at the job is still going on, when the kids aren't acting right, when you get that diagnosis from the doctor, when you have those, how do you live? I'm not saying you don't get weak. We all get weak. But that is our moment to recognize not only am I going to trust him because I love him, but there are other people watching how I endure this. I'm his witness. How you live a life of faith matters. For those of you that are new, let me make sure you, you hear this. Church is not a building. Church is not an exclusive club of people. It's a family of committed people committed to a common purpose and a common person. That's what the church is. That's what we are committed to. That is what we put our faith in. We don't put our faith in the government, although the government is great most of the time, some of the time. We don't put our faith that everything is going to be roses and rainbows put our faith in the fact that Jesus is with us and he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us no matter what we face he's with us this church in Thessalonica it was suffering from persecution this is who Paul was writing to he had to leave because the persecution was so bad and they had to stay there and these are the people that he's telling this to right out the gate Yet they endured and they kept their love for Jesus. What I do know is people are watching you. They want to know, is this thing real? 
They've seen the hypocrisy. They've seen the fallen preachers. They've seen the hypocrites in their family. They've seen the mean people who claim to be Christians, who are supposed to love them, who hold picket signs and beat them over the heads with it. They've seen all of that. They want to know, is this real? That's why we're his witnesses. It matters. And we are committed to being his real witnesses. Not perfect, but sincere and committed and faithful. Faithful to just keep showing up. The moment you become a Christian, people are watching. And this is our opportunity to be a light to the darkness. As I'm closing, why do we call it witness, being a witness? Because it's the opportunity to share with people what we've experienced and what we've seen. When they're beat down and full of guilt and shame, we get the opportunity to tell him how Jesus, how tell them how Jesus set us free from our guilt and our shame. When they feel like life is hopeless, we get the opportunity to tell them how Jesus stepped in and gave our lives hope and meaning. We're simply sharing with them what we've experienced. So let's be good witnesses. Verse eight. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you, the people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For everywhere we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't know, excuse me, we don't need to tell them about it. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and the true God. Church, I'm so proud of you. I want you to hear this. As your pastor, I'm so proud of you. As a church, you are sacrificially generous. More so than any church I've ever seen, you are sacrificially generous. That does not happen everywhere. You are a loving group of people. That also does not happen everywhere. When people come into our church, they feel like they're coming into a big family. From the moment some people hit the the foyer, they're loved on, they're greeted, they're hugged, they're welcomed. And you don't know what they came in here with. But they come in and they feel the very love of God. Thank you for that. When disasters hit our region, people know they can count on our Savior's church. Because we're going to be there with generators, water, food, tearing down things, demolishing things, cutting trees. In any given disaster, you can find a 65-year-old man from our Savior's church with a chainsaw cutting down a tree. Why? Because it's who we are. Many of you are people of prayer. You're an example for many to see. Thank you for that. And again, if you're new here, this is what you're now a part of. A church that's a witness and a church that makes a difference. Verse 10 and I'm done. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. This is who we are. We belong to God. We pray for one another. We believe in the power of God and we are his witnesses. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this. Thank you for the family of God. Thank you that this is what you've called us to, to be your people, 
to be your witnesses, God, to shine forth your, your light for the world, the dark world to see. God, I thank you for the people who are here today who are freshly born again, just brought into your kingdom. I thank you for helping, opening up their eyes to see the glorious picture of who they now are. I thank you for the seasoned believers that are being reminded this is who you are. Live consistently with your identity. We thank you for that. And I pray as we go into this series, as we dive into this, God, open up our eyes all the more to see who you've called us to be. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, I've talked a lot about being a witness in the power of God and the power of the gospel. There's people here with no, nobody looking around. You're here and you've, you've never experienced that. And the reason you've never experienced that is because you've never taken the moment to make Jesus the Lord of your life never surrendered and said, God, I want to follow you. And let me tell you what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about whether or not you've been baptized or christened or how long you've been a member of a church or this church. All of that is irrelevant when we stand before God. What matters the most in that moment is, are you born again? Jesus told a religious leader named Nicodemus, he said, you cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. Pastor, what is, what is that? What does that mean? It's the moment in time where the old you dies and you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. How does that happen? It's a simple process. It's as simple as ABC. And it's simple because Jesus did all of the hard work. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life and you're brutally honest about that, maybe for the first time, and you say, God, this is where I've fallen short. This is, what I, this is where I've sinned. Forgive me. B, you believe. Believe that God sent Jesus to die on that cross for you. That he is the Savior, but also that he is the Lord. And see, you confess. Confess what? That he is now that Lord in your life. He is now your king. And you're giving your life and your allegiance to him because he rose again from the dead on the third day. You believe that and confess that. So with no one looking around, if you say, Pastor, I want to be born again today. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want God to be my father. I want to become a witness for God. I'm not asking you to, this is not something you pray every week and you raise your hand because you feel guilty. It's a one-time decision that you make to make him Lord of all. And you say, from this moment on, I'm living for him. With no one looking around on the count of three, I want to ask you, just lift up your hand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of surrender. And we're all going to pray this together. But if you're praying this and you mean this, I want you to lift up your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. If you say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you. you say, Pastor, I want to be born again today. I want to pray to be born again. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Thank you. I see that couple back there. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Praise God. Thank you, ma'am. You can put them down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, 
and from my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer. Come on. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God.